kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to episode 55 of Dope Nostalgia, and I'm your host, Naomi. We got something cool and new. I just came up with the idea, hey, you know, back in the day, we used to have like voicemail, like hotlines, like pick up the phone and you just like call, leave messages and stuff. So I thought it would be cool to have a special phone number for the show where you can call and leave a voicemail. Your voicemail can be your opinions, who you'd like to see on the show, any cool ideas, your thoughts, any questions you might have. Give us a call. The phone number to contact us, 780-851-8785. That's 780-851-8785. Just leave us a voicemail and you might hear your message right here on the show. Um, I do want to warn you that long distance charges might apply. Unfortunately, it's not a toll free number, but sometimes people have calling plans where they can call at least within Canada um, all for free. So if you're calling from the States or somewhere international, there might be long distance charges applied. Not for sure. Okay. Our band today is currently celebrating their 40th anniversary. You can go to their website, 5440.com. That's 5440.com to learn all about it. They have a special YouTube uh, video actually right on the main page um, where they celebrated their 40th anniversary special on December 31st. And uh, we have the honor of having the lead singer of this incredible band, Neil Osborne, here on the show today. He's also got a very special project right now. He's been recording with his daughter. It's a real, real family affair. Um, his daughter, Candle. So he's going to be telling us all about that as well. All right, let's get to it. Here's a little bit of background info for you on 5440. Wikipedia Moments. I know you've heard this before, but you might be surprised where the origin of this song is from. Some of you think Hootie and the Blowfish came up with this huge hit in the 90s, but the actual original artist is none other than 5440. Now I couldn't find an instrumental or karaoke track or anything for 5440 to have it in the background, so I am using the Hootie and the Blowfish version from karaoke just so that you can hear the tune. Now. Let me tell you a little bit more about the band. 5440 is a Canadian alternative rock group from Vancouver, British Columbia, Sawasan to be exact. The band take their name from the slogan 5440 or fight, coined to express the unsuccessful expansionist agenda of James K. Polk's presidency, which was intent upon controlling a contested U.S.-Canada border area in the Oregon boundary dispute. 5440 has had a successful career with four of their albums being certified platinum in Canada. The band has been nominated for eight Juno Awards. Between 1996 and 2016, 5440 were among the top 150 selling Canadian artists in Canada and among the top 50 selling Canadian bands in Canada. Neil Osborne and Brad Merritt met in 1978 at South Delta High School in Sawasan. After studying at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, Osborne returned home and formed the band 5440 with Merritt and drummer Ian Franny. The band played their first gig in Coquitlam on December 8, 1980, the night John Lennon was killed. 
That same year, they made their first recordings for the Moda Moon label, with four tracks appearing on the independent compilation LP, Things Are Still Coming Ashore, which also featured music by Vancouver bands Animal Slaves and the Junco Run. In June 1982, the band released the EP Selection. Shortly after that release, Franny left the band. Replaced by Daryl Newdorf and Phil Camparelli, was added on guitar, trumpet, and vocals. The band recorded the album Set the Fire in 1983, releasing it in 1984. Newdorf, frustrated with the band's prolonged time in the studio and away from the road, left the band in 85 and was replaced by Matt Johnson. Now, the band's second self-titled album, released in 86 through Warner Reprise Records, began to attract attention from radio and record buyers across Canada, with the singles Baby Ran and I Go Blind gaining significant college radio airplay. Now, what we really wanted to get to here is what's happened to this band in the 90s. They were popular in college radio in the States, but they never had a commercial breakthrough, so Warner had dropped them in 1990. Then in 91, the band released the compilation album Sweeter Things. The band then signed a long-term deal with Sony and released Dear Dear in 1992. It was the band's first album to be certified gold in Canada and was certified platinum in 1993. The band released Smilin' Buddha Cabaret in 94 and Trusted by Millions in 1996, both of which would later be certified platinum. Neil Osborne joins us today to talk about his brand new project with his daughter, singer-songwriter Candle. It's called A Family Curse. And we talk a bit about the history and the legacy of 5440. Welcome, Neil. What's behind you? Is that real or is that like one of those fake, uh, yeah, that? Green screen. Oh, not <laughs> good. Yeah, keeping no, it retro. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, welcome to Dope Nostalgia. I want to thank you for being on the show today. And I'm really excited about your new project you're doing with your daughter, Candle. Um, mm-hmm. Family Curse. Now, would you describe this as a newer project or has this been in the works for a long time? Well, we've been a family cursed since the beginnings, <laughs> <laughs> since she was born. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a record, you know, we've always, obviously she decided to get into music for whatever reason. And uh, we never really worked together until, until this project. So it was a fun thing to do independent of our own careers kind of thing. Now, how long had she been working in music up until this point, since she was? Uh, yeah, a good 10 years anyway, since she was a teenager, so yeah. And um, you guys just decided, hey, it's time to do this as a family thing. And uh, how did you get the rest of the family involved? Because from what I understand from reading the bio, is that you have aunts and uncles and people who are also playing in the group. Is that correct? Uh, they come and go. I mean, the, the, recording, the recording project is essentially Candle and I and a little contribution from Danny Michelle. Um, but my brother, who's a pretty good musician, uh, played sax on some live shows and piano. And, uh, and my niece, uh, Sarah, who's a musician too, uh, did some singing with us and, you know, just sort of people coming in and out. And of course, the uh, my other daughter Coral and my wife Janine are in are in the latest video. So, you know, we make it a family thing. Oh, that's awesome! I'll make sure that we share the links to the videos on all of our social media. And if you don't mind, we'll share a couple of clips of some of your songs you guys are doing, so people yeah, get, people get a, a taste of it. Um, so, in the bio, you guys say that we make our music from experimenting with various audio scraps and acting on our emotions. What various audio scraps are in play here? Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's more of an attitude 
um, sort of like there's a song called Refrigerator Shrine. I mean, uh, there's a town in, in the Joshua Tree National Park, you know, the desert in, in California there called Pioneer Town and uh, some other weird old sort of almost cowboy towns mm. and that kind of a vibe. Uh, experimenting with slide guitar. So I was just playing around with some slide guitar playing and drumming, which I don't normally know how to do. Yeah. And I would come up with these grooves that I thought were kind of fun. And then I sent them basically to Candle and she just sang over them. She just told me, give it a name and I'll sing on it. So I'd say something like, you know, Cast the Curse or Desert Blues. Named a lot of them something blues. Yeah. So that she put on that attitude and uh, it kind of worked. <laughs> Pure folk artwork from found objects. That was another quote I read describing <laughs> the project. Yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I like that one too. So there's a bit of mystery I found to the band while I was doing uh, some investigating on what on, on the origins and whatnot. It makes delving into it more exciting for me as a listener. What will we expect from your stage show? Now, I know right now it's a little bit wild to be doing. I think you guys are starting to do some shows again, aren't you? We've done a few streaming shows already. And we, and we were just, you know, just before this, uh, what do they call it, a pandemic? kind of <laughs> took away the music industry. We were, we were just starting to get gear up for some shows in the summer and stuff. And we'd done, I guess, two shows in Montreal and a show in Toronto, uh, you know, when we were sort of both out there mm -hmm. and uh, they went over pretty good. So it was fun. I noticed one of them was like the Elmo combo. Is that? Uh... Well, no, that didn't happen. Oh, um, it didn't? Oh, okay. The 440 band, the other band that I'm part of, uh, we did we did that, but Candle couldn't uh, make the trip, mm. so uh, we were supposed to do a Family Curse show there. I mean, the thing is, with 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 the live show, when 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 it's live in front of people, not so much a stream show, because the stream show is kind of like it sounds; it just streams through. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no audience to sort of interact with, and and uh, but when we do the live show. You know, it's just like being in our kitchen and we're just sort of just riffing off each other. Yeah. A lot of banter goes on. <laughs> One, two. When you're doing a with a stream show and there's no audience does it 
feel like just being at a rehearsal almost like a sound check or um it's it sucks yeah. generally but i i the last time we did was kind of fun and i can't kind of remember who the heck was for i think it was the windsor blues fest or something like it's funny because we got to play all these blues festivals and stuff without being there which is kind of weird but uh so what i organized is uh we played to the the bass and drum tracks and i i set it up that it was continuous and then i and i faded in audience crowd cheering and stuff hmm. it actually felt better yeah <laughs> yeah it's like when you see a show and it's canned laughter or canned applause it's you know you don't know yeah, after a couple seconds you don't notice it and you just go with it and it's like yeah yeah because even when you play a song and it ends like a, you know you you think you're doing a performance like you're performing <laughs> and then silence at the end well you're not really performing you're jamming or you're rehearsing you know mm -hmm. so and it's just like the first thing you say is like you missed that that fourth on the second chord you know but you don't do that when people are watching you kind of forget there's an audience there if there's not a reminder yeah. yeah exactly and then afterwards you get to see all the feedback from the fans who've been who've been streaming like do they do they chat yeah, there's, there's, there's that. And, it, uh, you know, Candle is way better at it than I am. But, uh, you know, even while we're performing, sometimes you see, you see people with their little comments, but you can't say anything because you're actually performing. Mm. Or if it's, if it's an after the fact thing, I still don't know how to deal with, like, do that. <laughs> it's all new to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's definitely an odd time to be a performer right now. So it, there's a lot of learning in the, in the process for, for a lot of people now. With the Elma Combo, it's, I think, from what I understand, it's a very classic location in Canada for live music. Is that, is that correct? Well, the Elma Combo was, was sort of, uh, as far as Toronto goes, you know, through this, well, it, it, it started, I think, in the, in the 40s, if not earlier. But in the uh, 60s and 70s and, and 80s, uh, it was sort of the place where bands like Elvis Costello first played there, Blondie first played there, you know, The Damned, uh, uh, you know, Tom Cochran, lots of Canadian acts. I mean, it was sort of the place where you first got your feet wet if you were sort of heading somewhere. And of course, the Rolling Stones played there a few times as the, as the cockroaches, you know, and a sort of a warm-up surprise show. So that was always on, like, people were always on the lookout for when that might happen. Mm -hmm. And then it closed down. It just sort of just got decrepit. Um, I guess late in the 80s or, or, or maybe even later uh, <clears throat> and shut down. And then uh, a guy, a friend of mine named Mike Weckerly, who's one of the dragons on Dragon's Den, I went to, to an auction to buy the sign, the neon sign. And I guess the buddy next to him said, why don't you just buy the club and reopen it? So that's what he did. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. So it cost him a little more than the sign would have. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was all set to reopen in April and we were going to be part of that uh, week of, of launching the reopening. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, then the pandemic happened. But now he's doing streaming shows there. And I tell you this, it's a first class place now. And it's, mm -hmm. it's pays homage to what it used to be. There used to be two rooms, a basement room, which is kind of like a CBGB is very cool. And then the upper showcase room, which is also really nice. But he's also, you know, upgraded the sound first class and it's it's actually designed as a broadcast thing so in a weird way he's kind of ahead of the curve in the sense that you can do really high quality streaming shows and i think july talks played there a bunch of acts have already played there and we did a show there as 5440 
I guess about two weeks ago now. Smart choice for him to set it up yeah. the way he did. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, I don't think he's making money. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, very wealthy guy. And, uh, uh, you know, I was with him and one of his friends and, and, you know, his other friend had opened a golf course in the Maritimes and another friend has a giant yacht. So it was just like, well, this is, this is a better way to, at least he's supporting artists and, and helping music stay alive as much as he can, which is very, very hard to do now. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see him get involved. Absolutely. Kind of reminds me of, um, are you familiar with the old Sidetrack Cafe from in Edmonton? Uh, yeah, I know of it. Yeah. When they redid it, they moved it to a new location. And I would say this was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that move just didn't work for it. it I guess the yeah. magic was gone and it, it wasn't open very long. Yeah, interesting how that can happen. Yeah, there's almost a feng shui to a certain place, especially when it gets some roots on it. Mm-hmm. We sure. played the, uh, I got a funny story. We played a 6440. This is, I guess, early 2000s. We were in Liverpool and we were playing the Cavern Club and we were so excited because the Cavern Club, you know, as you know, is where the Beatles got their big start. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were all excited. And then we were told, well, no, the real Cavern Club was down the block. This is sort of, <laughs> the the imitation cavern club was like oh man <laughs> oh well it's kind of kind of a letdown I guess but I'm sure it was a great gig anyway but yeah it was it was interesting <laughs> tell me about the induction of 5440 into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in 2017 oh well you know yeah. you go through this ritual they cut your wrists and you got to drip a bunch of blood and it's, <laughs> no I mean there's <laughs> It's a, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice, uh, I guess, from our peers and in the industry, I guess, uh, acknowledging our contribution, you know, mm-hmm. giving us, tipping the hat to us, like giving us a feather or stick in our cap. There is no hall that I'm aware of. No physical hall to visit? No, yeah, no physical hall, <laughs> no, no robes to wear, no ceremonies. So. Just basically an excuse for an awesome party and uh, people like you to get to talk about it, which is awesome. <laughs> it's a good party. <laughs> it's all about the party. Did you guys ever yeah. see yourselves as labeled alternative? Because that label of a genre means many things, I find, especially in the 90s. Well, we started in the 80s, just so you know. Yeah. So uh, that word didn't exist. Uh, right. the, word that this, the word that existed was underground music believe it or not because you basically played uh halls or some dingy clubs that nobody really knew about it unless you knew about it do you that make any sense yeah so that was called underground music and then it became college music or university music and then it became alternative music <laughs> and then it became whatever it be- you know so yeah. whatever <laughs> i always felt it was like it was a label for guitars that were grungy, in my opinion. That's all it was. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, the grunge thing happened well after we were on the scene. That's true. That's true. I know that you guys did start way back, back in the 80s instead of the 90s. But I found that um, some of the, when I got to know you guys, it was definitely in the 90s with the releases you had then. Did you feel like the music you were doing fit through and went through the grunge era seamlessly? Or did you, did you notice any kind of struggle with that type of music coming into the forefront? Well, 
I, you know, we weren't quite that way, but we, we, we fit alongside it fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we played a lot of those bands, um, you know, depending on how you, what you would call those, those bands. Mm -hmm. uh, same with the 80s, you know, I mean, I guess alternative could be described as something that not, isn't necessarily, you know, on the top of the rock charts or anything, or, you know, mainstream music in terms of whatever like rock music so the 80s we didn't really get played on the radio until later in the 80s and then in the 90s we had sort of been established and then yeah this is the whole nirvana thing came along and you know a bunch of bands got inspired by that and we played a lot you know we played with pearl gem we played with Soundgarden. we played with a lot of bands in those days well, that's awesome she lies to me that you went to Berkeley for for music now I find that like some real music heavyweights studied there did you were how long how many years were you at Berkeley so you're talking about the Berkeley in Boston not the California yes there's two yeah. college of music <laughs> exactly I was there for uh six months <laughs> yeah yeah and I went this isn't for me <laughs> and uh I uh I dropped out pretty quickly and then that's basically around the time Brad, uh, the bass player who I went to high school with, said, hey, there's this new thing called punk rock and underground music. And uh, it's really happening here in Vancouver. You should come back. He wrote me a letter. I actually still have the letter. Uh, come back and we can, we can jump into this because it, it, it's a lot of fun. And I went, wow. <laughs> well, I was studying, you know, eight hours a day in my little cubicle and you know, trying to be an, a jazzoid guy and all that sort oh. of stuff. Is that what it was? Because I tried to go to Grant McEwen for music and it was the jazz. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, at the time, you know, this is like 1978. Music was pretty bad in, in, in terms of, uh, I mean, I wasn't really catching a whiff of sort of the new alternative stuff that was coming out of England or maybe New York. So, you know, it was the sort of baroque music that was around was really indulgent and bad so jazz was the natural sort of place to go mm -hmm. if you wanted to stay a music fan or unless you wanted to be a nostalgist so uh anyway the, the short story is is that i remember uh, i had a really good teacher you had all these different courses that you would take and i had a personal teacher and i was a first year and uh i went into my class and another student went out and the teacher said to me yeah see that guy he's like one of the best students i've ever had in years and i went okay you know i'm going to ask you this question about that guy that was one of the best students you've ever had in years because clearly that's not me um what 
is he going to end up doing? Oh, well, he'll either be a teacher at a high school. If he's really lucky, he can, he can get a part-time job in an orchestra pit. And I went, fuck me, man. <laughs> I am not doing that. So <laughs> then I got the letter from Brad. It's like, get out of there. Come on, let's start a band. I went, okay. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go to four years of college just so I can be a teacher. No, thanks. Mm. So that was the deal there. Understandably so. Now you guys played your first show together and John Lennon died that day. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, it was a profound, I remember distinctly. So the show uh, was a, um, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday. Um, my brother was in a cover band out in, the suburb of Vancouver, Coquitlam, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And they had the uh, open mic Monday or Tuesday, right? So if you had something you, you wanted to showcase, uh, they would give you a half hour. So I arranged that we would play our first show. That was, you know, we hadn't played anywhere in front of anybody. So we were uh, there. And so I was, we were all meeting there separately because we were living in different parts of the city. And I was driving in my sister's old station wagon and I heard it on the radio and I was just like, oh. And I just felt, uh, you know, a lot of emotions and I can still feel it today. I mean, John Lennon meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. You know, and to me, he was one of the real people. One of the ones that you look to like, that changed the course of culture in so many ways. And his attitude was always, you know, I know he was regarded as an asshole and, you know, a lot of attitude issues, but he always spoke his mind and he wrote a hell of a lot of great tunes. Mm -hmm. So um, I wasn't really into the Devil Fantasy album that had just come out, by the way. <laughs> but uh, uh, so when we got on the stage and, and we sort of looked at each other, it just felt like, you know, like one of those weird old war movies where the Sarge just died and we got to pick up and, can, you know, continue the battle for him kind yeah. of deal. So uh, it just felt really, uh, I don't know, meaningful and profound to play our our six songs. <laughs> yeah. That there. So, but in actual fact, we weren't, we were just in the, 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 the gig that we had as 5440 I mean, we were calling ourselves 5440, but it wasn't announced, was the New Year's Eve following. So that John Lennon died on December 8th. And then our, our show where we had a little poster and everything was New Year's Eve 1980 in, in uh, the Smiling Booty Cabaret. You still got the poster? No. <laughs> There's a poster from a few gigs after that, uh, yes. kicking around, but not that one.
Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We got to pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc., etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, Dope Nostalgia has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. Have you ever wondered where some of your favorite stories came from? Think recent icons are just fads that were created in Hollywood? What if I told you that most of the pop culture icons we know and love have a long history behind them, and some of them have strange beginnings and even stranger roads that they've traveled to become what we know now. If any of this sounds interesting to you, join me as I take you through the history, lore, and the works of actual scholars to show you more about the tropes, legends, and cultural icons you love in the Armchair Scholars Guide podcast. Together, we will go over what makes these figures in our movies and books so special, reveal how old they actually are, and see how they've changed over the years. Along with every episode, there's also a ton of links and videos so that you too can find out more about the strange and unusual worlds and characters that have kept us up at night and kept us coming back for more. If you've always wanted to know more about the Joker, have a passion for Dracula, or just wanted to know who Santa really is, meet me at the Armchair Scholar's Guide podcast every second Saturday, and let curiosity be your guide. The taste is stimulating, and you know what that can lead to. (laughs) Makes a crunching noise. I'd like to be the one making the noise. Flavor crystals? Try to get away with it in my class. These dots indicate an explosive personality. Cineburst with flavor crystals may not be suitable for adults. What kind of memorabilia have you kept from over the last few years? I've got, uh, well, there's photos kicking around, obviously, that have been... scan and stuff like that but uh i've got uh about four or five giant garbage bags of moldy smelly t-shirts i've got just about every t-shirt we ever made now we used to make our own i don't know if you knew that oh yeah i see you you haven't been around as long as this is as i have (laughs) there was a much music special on us and how we would make our own t-shirts with silk screening and everything like that um yeah so I've got a lot of those rejects actually where the, they got smudged in the <laughs> So I got garbage bags full of uh, t-shirts right through the eighties and nineties. And then after the two thousands, I kind of gave up collecting them all, but yeah. What was your favorite album you released in the nineties? Oh, that'd be Smile and Booty Cabaret for sure. Absolutely. What yeah. album track would you wish would have been a single, like a deep cut that was your favorite? 
<sighs> I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, there was a song on the album after uh, Smell Blue Cabaret uh, on the album Trusted by Millions that I thought that the song Stick to Millie mm -hmm. was going to be a single. I was, you know, and I was pretty good, as Dave Genn says, you know, I would predict what the single would be about half the time. In other words, that song is going to get on the radio. And he goes, that's a pretty good record. That's better than an A&R guy. <laughs> you know, I kind of knew how to sense that this song was clicking because we used to always test these things out live or, or even when we we're making it, it just seemed to have a wind behind its back. Um, so I remember we were uh, recording the album and Stick to Millie, still a great song, still a powerful rock song and it still could have been a single. Um, and we were, we went, uh, Stephen Drake did it and a guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bob Ludwig, famous mastering engineer out of, Portland, Maine, mm -hmm. you know, he's mastered all the big records. Uh, we flew to Portland, Maine to get it mastered in the same time the hip were there because Stephen Drake who produced us mixed the hip. So we were doing a two for one kind of deal. So I was hanging out yeah. with those guys, listening to their record get mastered, which sounded awesome. I think it was Trouble at the Hen House and um, was the one with the uh, Head by Century. I just remember that, whatever that album is. Mm -hmm. And um, then we had ours done and the A&R guy was there and we were flying on the ba uh, back home uh, flew up to Toronto to do some meetings. And then I was going to go on to Vancouver and the A&R guy was very, very excited about the album. And I said, stick to Millie should be the first thing. I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And they said, what's it about? And I said, well, you know, it's, it's about abortion. It's like, you know, the woman's right to choose and you know, how, how laws can do that, whatever. And he freaked out being a Catholic and, basically it didn't get released as a single. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I mean, I suppose he could dispute that, uh, but that's what happened. He definitely pushed for other songs and that was a very successful album, but that never even saw the light of day, that record or that song. So I kind of went, hmm, hmm, but uh, whatever, you know, that's rock and roll, baby. <laughs>
Now, with Hootie and the Blowfish covering your song, I Go Blind, did that enable you guys to do a lot more um, with your own music, financially especially? Um, well, it, it, in the sense that financially it was very rewarding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, we got a, we, we actually got a, a studio out of it that we had on in uh, Granville Island for a while. And then, mm -hmm. you know, sort of burst that into our own homes after that. So in that sense, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was very successful for them, but no, you know, people still don't know that it's our song. That's, that's kind of, isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, when we, when we had that song released and when we were signed to Warner Brothers down in Los Angeles and the A&R guy was playing it for the president of Warner's guy named Lenny Warnker and I go blind came on and I, and I just felt like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That sounds actually really good, but they didn't want to release it as a single. <laughs> <laughs> they released Baby Ran, I Want to Know instead. In, uh, and then I Go Blind became a fan fan favorite mm. inadvertently. And then they sort of begrudgingly released it as a single and uh, without any kick on it. So, you know, it's a testament to a good song, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's good to see you guys. Uh, when I see you live, and the last time I think was when you played Edmonton at our K-Days Festival two years ago, I want to say. All right, tell me what that was. <laughs> okay, it was the summer show, outdoor show. Who was on the bill? It was, well, it was different bands nightly. You guys were the only band in that evening. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was the fair. Right. The fair. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, I think I, I think I can put it together. It's really cool to see you guys live, especially when you realize all the songs come back to you, right? Like that. You're just like, yes, that was a 5440 classic. So you realize how many hits you guys had on the radio. Quite a few. Um, have you released any or reissued any of your music on vinyl? There, there was a reissue of the Dear Dear album um, that was kicking around for a while. Uh, I don't, I think it was wasn't us that released it because it was a Sony record, but somebody licensed the vinyl rights mm -hmm. from Sony. And um, we're talking about it, you know, uh, in the States, uh, they're having a 30, 30 or 35 year rights reversion of masters by law. Mm -hmm. So we've applied for our first three records, which were signed, you know, to Warner's in the States to come back to us. All the records we did, well, not all the records, but the five records we did after that were with Sony Music in Canada. And they have those masters in perpetuity, mm. unless the Canadian law can change where the artists get them back. So uh, short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I know, uh, I know, how are you doing for time? I don't want to take up too much of your time if you're in a hurry. I just have a couple well, more questions. Well, there's pandemic on and there's no <laughs> gigs to be had. So yeah, I think I'm okay for a little few more minutes. <laughs> okay, okay. What was your favorite music video to make? Uh, you know, it, it's going to sound cliche and, and whatever, but it was definitely Ocean Pearl. That's my favorite uh, song of yours. Always yeah, love it. That's our most successful song and most successful video. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying it because of that, you know, because we have, did a lot of videos and there's a lot of 
weird experiences. And mostly these videos were some director's vision. I mean, we come from those days, you know, in the golden era of the 80s and 90s of videos when the budgets were phenomenally high, higher than the making of the records. Uh, nowadays, you know, I mean, that, that you're going to hopefully play some of uh, Family Curse videos, uh, which are fun and great. And, but I did mostly on an iPhone in front of a green screen. Green screen. <laughs> Cost of nothing. Zero. <laughs> Good. Uh, we're talking, you know, a lot of money. Um, so Ocean Pearl was the third video released on Smile and Buddha record. Uh, all the videos we did for a uh, director by the name of Jeff Weinrich out of Calgary. Brilliant guy. He did some, a lot of Jan Arden stuff. And some other acts, I guess. Um, he did a video called Bling Your Parents, which is stunning. It's just so original and great, which we did in, a, in, a, in an a abandoned insane asylum uh, outside of Vancouver. Mm. But uh, when it came down to Ocean Pearl, you know, the record company said, well, you know, you kind of blew all your budget on, on Assaholic, which was done in Calgary, too. Um, <laughs> Um, and blame your parents and Ocean Pearl was like, well, we can only give you, you know, I think it was about 30 grand where the other one's well over a hundred grand. I mean, it's just, this is still, that's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You know, the standard that minimum a hundred grand a video for their first song and maybe your second. And then, then they kind of went, well, if it's not selling enough, you're, you're kind of done. But in the end, who pays for that? This is a band tap. Is it like a <laughs> oh, loan? Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you you understand that and explained that already. Yeah, it's extortion basically. Mm. Um, so, uh, but Jeff had this really cool idea, which was essentially to take a skeleton crew and some locals, um, and we fly down to Las Vegas, and we rent this old '60s bus. I mean, it's kind of like what you see, mm. and we do a road trip. And so rather than go to a warehouse and, you know, all these people in makeup and all this stuff and a set and, you know, it's like, you don't even know who these people are. And, you know, you can see all this money go out the window and you're supposed to stand in a cold warehouse in a puddle and stomp your feet and pretend you're cool. It's like, fuck. So this, this sounded like fun and it absolutely was hilariously fun. It was one of the most memorable times of, of our band. And there's, you know, there's probably a, a dozen of those and this this definitely stands up there so it was about 10 or 12 of us that uh you know we're in this 1963 vintage bus with you know camera crew and a couple of other skeleton crew and we also had a local uh, uh who was a cowboy poet named rob McEwen uh, or something like that and uh, you know vietnam vet and just the coolest guy and he kind of just was our shaman for the whole trip so we went through joshua tree we went through yuma we went through all these places and it was a long trip to, to las vegas so we started in a las vegas strip and ended the video in, in la going down sunset strip nice. and just all the events and weird things that happened aside from making the video um it was just a, a really good time so that's why that video uh, kind of works there's a lot of funny stories about it Bitten in the valley 
that's that's amazing like i mean just I, I, the idea of making a music video sounds extremely fun to me but i, I imagine some of the shoots are not as uh, as easy as others so yeah probably di pretty difficult i mean depends like yeah. like i said the stuff i did with the family curse was hilariously fun and has been hilariously fun because we just dress up and be goofy in front of a green screen and then they find something to put behind it and go that's fun and um, but yeah, some of those videos in, in the other days is like lots of time setting up for the lighting and the camera and the makeup and getting it just so and doing it five times and, you know, and then it gets all put together and it is what it is. It looks good, I guess, mm -hmm. it, it, as far as what it was in those days. Um, I mean, I think some of the videos now that you see, you know, especially some like uh, The weekend or something like that, I think those budgets are like a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like they're movies. <laughs> exactly. Um, what kind of good memories do you have of performing at Much Music and other like show appearances that you have, you've, you've had? You mean like at Much Music, like on TV at Much Music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was that huh. process? Uh, what, uh, well, playing live at Much Music, I suppose we did about three or four times. Mm -hmm. I, I know we did the... Uh, uh the much music awards mm -hmm. i think we closed it we were supposed to open it and denise Dolan was running much music at that point and she called and said brian adam says he wants to open it so you're closing it it's like okay <laughs> guess that's the way it is uh -huh. but we won the award that year for best video for sheila so that was a good good consolation for not opening but anyway it's good <laughs> um who have you met in the business that's taught you the most or that you're most excited to meet? Uh, well, you, you get little bits of everything from, from everybody, people that maybe you never heard of to, you know, meeting Ronnie Wood was pretty special, yeah. but then that's a rolling stone. And then meeting all the stones and hanging out for a bit with those guys was, kind of like threw me right back to being a little kid again you yeah. know meeting heroes and i'm just like couldn't get the grin off my face it was the weirdest thing <laughs> <laughs> um but uh you know i think mostly believe it or not we've been, been the various producers we worked with in the 80s and 90s who always had some sort of gem or kernel of a jewel of of insight that that would stick with us or or me you know like I remember Don Smith, you know, saying that the song just has to feel good, you know, and he would play examples of songs that the timing would drift or the tuning was a little bit weird and this and that, but it was a hit and, and because it felt good. Mm. And he goes, that's the key here. And Oh yeah, that's so true. You know, cause I've run into a lot of people who get really anal about a bar being a little bit off or this or that. And like, no one can tell. <laughs> but once you start looking, you'll find those problems, right? And they're not even problems. It's true. Just, it's like it's a it's a crutch to lean on a grid or something like that. So, you know, um, other things like that 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 just validate, I guess, what you already knew without knowing, without really defining it. There's a lot of huge songs. Um, from the history of music that if you really wanted to analyze have have mistakes in in the recordings if you really want yeah. to find them right so yeah like 
Uh, you know, like Tracy Chapman is you got a fast car, whatever that's called. I can't remember what it's called. Yep, fast car. Fast car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you listen to that, the tempo changes quite a bit throughout it, you know, and, and it's got some weird guitar problems and stuff like that. But it just feels great. Yeah. Got great. And that was one of the ones to use. The other one was, I think, Out on the Weekend, Out on a Weekend by Neil Young, where it's just so simple and feels so good. And you're just like, wow, yeah, exactly. You just got right into it. <laughs> yeah. Is there any new tech out there that you are not interested in? You just refuse to use? Like, nope, not for me. Depends what you mean by tech. I don't, I don't, I, I just. <clears throat> like social media software yeah. or um, even just recording software, anything out there that you're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, most of it. <laughs> But I mean, I, I do have Instagram mostly to keep track of what my kids are up to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Facebook, I'm collecting. I've got so many friends who I've never met. It's, and that's a weird concept to me, but I'm kind of enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, a Twitter, I, ha- I, don't even know, I can't fathom how to use it. And, and that's okay with me, I guess. And then as far as uh, technology, well, I don't know. No real opinion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Did you guys use analog back back in, in your earlier recordings? Because <laughs> I awesome still have, I still have um, a recording engineer teachers who who still swear by it. When we were taking digital recording classes, they still were teaching us analog because they said you still need to know this. It's very yeah, important. Sure um, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, well. <laughs> Basically, all our records that went platinum and gold, which is, I think, five or six, and everything through the 80s and 90s, that's all there was, was analog. Mm -hmm. There was no digital, you know? Yeah. So, like, that's what you had to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, but now, you know, we've done recordings, like, uh, where we try to get into analog. It's just more expensive. It's really expensive now. But we might mix down to, to a half inch tape, that kind of thing, you know, and, and try to make some vinyl and all that, that to keep that experience alive. Mm. Okay. Well, what, what can listeners look forward to with the new release with the uh, family curse? Um, well, it's, it's kind of a fun uh, rock and roll bluesy vibe. It sounds like a road trip to me, you know, that, that it's great for listening to in the car. So fantastic. All right. I can't wait to share it with everybody. Uh, a family curse. I'll get, I'll get everyone all the links. I'll get you guys set up with, uh, so everyone yeah. can check it out. And, Appreciate it. And we'll share it on our social media, of course, as well. When this, uh, when this airs, I'll make sure to tag you guys in it so that uh, you'll know what it, when it's coming out. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. So. I want to thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. How's Edmonton doing anyways? What's going on over there? Um, in general, things are all right. I think pretty much like everywhere else. Uh, our, our COVID numbers aren't the best compared to some Canadian cities. Edmonton's kind mm. of doubled Calgary. Really? Yeah. Wow. We're at about like 850 ca- uh, active cases right now. Is that, uh, what, what do they attribute that to? gatherings public gatherings uh people not wanting to wear masks things it's mostly community spread 
Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, I think this, uh, I'm not sure. I know there's some people that have been having parties and stuff like that, which is probably not smart, but I don't know about blaming young people because they don't seem to think they're going to get really sick mm -hmm. is, is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of young people, I mean, I'm, when I'm talking young, I'm basically saying anybody younger than me, which is most of the people. But, you know, they're, they're out there working, right? Mm -hmm. They're working at restaurants, grocery stores, stuff like that. So somebody has to some, do it. Cut them some slack, man. You know, you got to. Yeah. And they got to let off steam just like anyone else because their jobs aren't easy right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. that's just a, just a thing. How's Kelowna doing? Well, we're just, uh, we're house sitting for a friend of ours, a university professor who's, who's, uh, he's got a cat that he doesn't want to put in a kennel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's all right. Yeah. Uh, we went yesterday. So it's one of the few places in Canada that in, in, you know, late September, even early October that you can still swim outside in oh, lakes. It must be amazing. Yeah. It's quite nice. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. I will. I've, I've got absolutely nothing planned. <laughs> oh, that's the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks so much. All right. You take care, Neil. Thank you. Bye, Emily. Bye-bye. Everything you want to learn about 5440, all their social media, their YouTube links, etc., you can go and find at 5440.com. Thank you so much, Neil, for spending time with me today on the show. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Next week's episode is officially our one year anniversary show. I'm going to have Kendra and Colin joining me to go over everything that happened in the year, all the cool interviews we had, just a recap, and have a great party together. 
It's going to be a double episode next week as well because we have a very special guest joining us coming back to be on the show a second time to bring in one year. And that's Rosala, the queen of rave, who has a brand new single out. And we were so happy to talk to her again. She's a delight. So thank you, Rosala. We will see you next week. And until then, you guys take care and be safe, okay? Social media, yeah, we've got it. Send us an email, dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope. Or on Insta, dope underscore nostalgia. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.